0: Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast, episode number two. My name is Jeff Stebbin, and I'm here with Jim McDonald. We are both strategic identity and access management advisors with Identropy's advisory practice. If you're looking for identity and access management talk, you have come to the right place. On this podcast, we talk about a wide range of IAM-related topics. It might be current events, things we see come up during our consulting engagements, or other things that we just think you might find interesting. Hi,
1: Jim. How are you doing? Hey, Jeff. Jeff, we're going to talk about a, an article that we found on infosecuritymagazine.com. I guess that's infosecurity-magazine.com. And um, it's called Healthcare Organizations Too Confident in Cybersecurity. It was written by Casey Um I don't want to scare folks away. We're not only going to talk about healthcare organizations. I think the, the discussion today will be... Um, you know, obviously, we're going to talk about this article and we're going to talk about that industry, but the things we're going to talk about are going to be applicable to almost any industry. Um, but the the article really pulls out some of the key points um, that Casey found in a white paper on the LexisNexis Risk Solutions website uh, called the state of patient identity management and there's a link in her article so the focus of that article is really on patient portals and really what the article is implying is that there's a higher degree of confidence in the security controls uh than is warranted uh in these patient portals and that you know she kind of highlights a few of the statistics that were in the white paper and there's a um there's a good uh, data diagram as well, um, where you know the use of multi-factor uh, authentication is kind of low relative to what you would expect on a internet-facing website, where you know critical data that is protected by HIPAA uh, would really be uh, stored. You would expect a, a much higher use of multi-factor authentication because the bottom line is passwords need to die right i'm probably Mm -hmm. preaching to the choir to anybody who's listening to this podcast but we all know the weaknesses in passwords and a lot of them are because we are humans we use the same password from website to website once one of those websites gets cracked that um and and there's a data breach the users and passwords get dumped and put on the dark web put up for sale uh we've seen some of the prices for you know standard username and password uh being super cheap and uh you know pennies per account uh so anybody can go out and get these accounts and then just run them through a bot and try to log into your banking website or or various other websites that you use and so you know multi-factor authentication is a control while not perfect uh, and there are multi-factor authentication can mean many different things um, it's still a lot better than passwords, and so the 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 article really goes into that. And Jeff, I know you were going to highlight a few of those statistics that were in that article. Yeah, I think that thing that jumped at me the first first part as I read it
0: is um, that the cybersecurity folks at these healthcare organizations said that they thought they were pretty confident in their strength of their cybersecurity, but really only um, like two thirds of them were using multi-factor authentication. So, you know, I'm I'm not sure there's, if if those numbers just don't kind of play out too well for me, Uh, if things are, if you're more confident about it, I think you'd want to put more MFA in place when it comes to that. But, um, you know, most of the healthcare organizations are only uh, using uh, username and passwords. Uh, Two thirds of them have multi-factor, which is great. Somehow that doesn't jive with me that you know people being confident in their security, I would think you'd want to have more MFA in place, which is interesting because a lot of them their budgets are staying the same. So even though uh, healthcare breaches are rising and they've increased year over year, the budget being the same is probably not keeping up with the different types of attacks that are going on. So things like call center fraud, you know, bot attacks crypto mining, you know, those are, those are all things that happen. They happen pretty commonly, especially in the healthcare side, Uh, you know, for whatever reason um, there was one of the statistics I saw there where uh, almost half of healthcare organizations have experienced some sort of crypto mining. I mean, that's, that's a crazy number. If you think about it, you know, it's gotta be lucrative. Otherwise, you know, the attackers wouldn't be going after it, but um, there's clearly more work to be doing, you know, within the healthcare side. I understand there's a lot of, typical health uh, budget challenges that might be in that space. Um, but if you think about it from a cost, right, it's roughly 400 bucks per user or per patient data that gets stolen. You know, the average uh, number of breaches or number of uh, records that might be taken out, you're probably looking at, you know, one and a half million, two million bucks to recover from that. So that's, you know, it's a pretty expensive, um, you know, way to try to manage things if you're not putting enough Security up front, and I think MFA is a huge part of that. I don't, I don't know why it's not standard, you know, for for more folks. I understand there's a cost associated with it, but I guess why do you, you know, from from your perspective, why do you think MFA is not just a given at this point, given how bad passwords are?
1: Yeah, and well, one thing I was thinking as you were talking about that, the diff, there's a disconnect between the confidence level and what we as practitioners consider to be. You know, basic minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it probably ties back to a little bit on who was interviewed for the study and do they share that point of view with us. Some people might think, well, MFA is just not a realistic uh, for our users. And, and they're more thinking about it from the user interface perspective. And heck, as practitioners, we, we need to balance usability and security too. Right. We can't just say it's got to be the most secure every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I guess what I'm saying is that it's it might not be the CISOs of the healthcare organization of the hospital in this case, um, that are uh are were respondents to the survey to this, you know, feeding into this white paper. It might be people who are more on the business side and who deal with the complaints of like, Hey, I can't create an account or I don't have the same phone number anymore. So I can't get the SMS. And um, so they might be thinking that, Hey, uh, um, multi-factor authentication is just not realistic for our user population. We have a lot of people who are, you know, older or sick and they just don't want to deal with it. So we're not going to put them through that. It's just not realistic. And that's really, I think become kind of a, out-of-date, um, to, to a certain degree, an out-of-date um, argument because I think most people are starting to realize the number of data breaches that are happening. It's just the risk is unacceptable, and, and especially when it comes to healthcare data. But in my experience of working with hospitals, most of the CISOs that I've interacted with, usually the patient portal is not under their operational control, but they do set policies for the organization. So they may set a policy that mfa is required but a lot of times what i've seen is that there's a carve out that you know that requirement is just focused on employees or just focused on administrators. so in other words they soften the policy because there's so much pressure in the organization to make things more user-friendly and so that's my my i i guess that was as i was reading the article i'm thinking these couldn't be CISOs who are uh, confident in username and password as a as a, an approach. Yeah, it's kind of like lowest common denominator
0: security, right? And try and design for the easiest um, way for people to get access. But unfortunately, user password alone just isn't enough. I wonder if, as you know, the population continues to age, if folks who are you know maybe in their twenties, thirties, forties now, as they start to at the age where they are. You know, taking, having to take advantage of more uh, healthcare services. If folks who have grown up on MFA will expect it, you know, in the next 10, 20, 30 years, whatever that may be. Whereas the folks who maybe who are using it today that are on the upper end of the range, you know, the age range, didn't really grow up with that. And it's not really second nature to them like it is for you know, whether they're practitioners or even just, you know, folks who have, have had more experience with it. I think of things like Apple, right? They, they have MFA, on, you know, on their iCloud accounts. Um, you know, whether it's, whether it's perfect or not is kind of irrelevant to me. That, you know, they have something. Um, but they've made it easy enough where the vast majority of their users, you know, seem to have it enabled and are taking advantage of it. And I wonder if that will extend to things like patient portals, you know, in the future.
1: Yeah. I And I think that, uh, look, my dad does not have a smartphone. Um, it's kind of mind-blowing, but it's just, he doesn't have a place for it in his life. Mm-hmm. He has an older computer at home. Uh, I know other people who have a smartphone and don't have a computer at home. So, And usually the people who have the smartphone and no computer at home are more um, you know, in the workforce today still. So um, yeah, I think you're right. I think that uh, from my perspective, it's ubiquitous, right? But I'm a technology person. and I have to keep reminding myself that even though I think that, you know, multi-factor authentication is <laughs> simple and using authenticator apps is simple, uh, I think for a lot of people, it's not. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you're trying to balance that is,
0: is certainly interesting. It's just, you know... MFA, all the things, kind of should be the motto, <laughs> but, you know, you have to kind of balance that that usability with the security, which I get. And I think there's probably some more interesting technologies that are coming down the pipeline that will make MFA easier. I think of things like Windows Hello, right? You can look at your computer and it'll authenticate you. Um, that just became FIDO2 um, certified, so that'll be interesting to see how Microsoft is able to leverage, you know, the, the true password experience, passwordless experience when it comes to log into windows, you know, Apple, you can already log in with the touch ID, you know, behind the scenes though, there's still a password somewhere. Uh, when I, you know, we've been hearing the passwords dying for years. I, just, I don't, I don't see it quite yet, but it seems like it's always getting pretty close here, especially over the last couple of years.
1: Yeah. You know, I've noticed I'm an iPhone user. So I've noticed when I go and register with a, a website or an app, Apple will say, here, use a strong password. And you look at the password that it's recommending, and it's one that <laughs> nobody could ever guess. Right. At the same time, there are a lot of websites that say, we can't accept this password. <laughs> you know, it goes outside of their password policy. But just assuming that it does go through and you register, now it works with my iPhone. And as long as I have my Apple ID and everything is syncing up with the Apple Cloud, it'll work with my Apple laptop. But if I go to a Windows computer... You know, I'm never going to know that password. I'm never going to be able to log in except within that ecosystem. So it's kind of a partial solution. Yeah, it's a little bit of pain in the butt, right? Because you've got to
0: you know go into your iPhone, find your passwords. It's buried in the settings. It's just it's not a user friendly experience. Um, I like LastPass. That's the one that I use. So I have that set up across my iPhone, both my Mac and my Windows, and my and my tablet. And I've made that actually my default password manager for my iPhone and for my tablet so that everything kind of stays in the sync. It's not a perfect solution, but it works, you know, pretty well, you know, good enough for me, right. uh, at least from a from a management
1: perspective to be able to, you know, keep track of the different passwords I'm using for different sites. I like it too. Everybody who I've ever known who uses it are either uh, technophiles or <laughs> IT people. Yep. So, I don't think it's a good solution for like you know to solve this problem for patient portals, but no. I do think if you know as an individual you want to put up the best defenses for yourself it's it is a good solution
0: yeah, definitely what and this is a little bit of a side topic, but what are your thoughts on social identity and logging into things like a patient portal? would you consider if you're a CISO would you consider allowing people to log in with their Facebook or Google or soon to come,
1: you know, the Apple ID, um, social login. You know, I, that's a great topic and I would want to rely on it. I think one thing people believe is that, you know, Google or Apple or Microsoft that it's, you know, it, you wouldn't get fished or you wouldn't be able to, um, get hacked. I don't think that's true at all. Um, And I I generally find that, you know, most of the CISOs or even business people that we work with don't feel like it's a sufficient enough control to use a social provider. So um, while I think technologically speaking, it's a great solution, I think there are confidence issues in it. Yeah. Well, especially now with privacy
0: concerns right i mean everyone's concerned about facebook and you know what data you're giving them same thing through google you know apple has has tried to stake a claim here especially recently about being more privacy focused uh but even their open id implementation isn't really following you know all the standards right so there's there's certainly some things there to think about um you know from a consumer standpoint it's certainly easier i think if if I'm given the choice rather than creating a new account or using a um, already established credential, I'll typically use, you know, more established credential, but I know that I have MFA enabled on that. And um, you know, that I I feel more confident in security around that rather than just giving yet another ID and a password to some other database somewhere out there that, you know, chances are at some point will become compromised. Um, So I, I see the balance of it. I mean, I certainly don't see, enterprise uh, solutions, you know, inside the firewall, so to speak, taking advantage of social login. But I think it's almost become standard for external facing systems, especially on the consumer side to have some sort of social login credential. I mean, it all, in addition to security, right. It also offloads the user
1: management component of it behind the scenes. Right. Yeah. It, it, offloads certain portions of it. Um, I think for a patient portal, I'd like to see it as an option. If I was the patient, logging in. I don't have Facebook myself. I got rid of my account a couple of years ago and I found that pretty limiting in terms of there are a lot of websites that have Facebook as the only social option, right? Usually Google is one of them and I do have a Google account, of course. Um, And uh, so, yeah, a lot of times I'll use that as well. And if that's an option, I generally prefer to use it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So let's talk a little bit about priorities because something that comes up quite a bit, right, is what do you do first? Um, Money is typically something you have to be very concerned about when it comes time to budget and resources. So I'm going to propose a scenario here, right? So let's say you're one of these um, CISOs and you are, let's say, at a hospital and you do not today have MFA or any type of privilege access management solution in place which one are you going
1: to go for first? That's a good question. So um, I think the scenario that you're proposing is talking about, I'm the CISO at the hospital and um, I have a separate budget for internal, separate from my uh, patient portal, right? Patient portal is something that is generally budgeted outside of uh, IT or at least outside of information security. So working with my budget, um, and there's a big difference. So I've worked with some very large hospital organizations where they have, you know, dozens of locations. I've worked with single location hospitals mm-hmm. in the past. And generally speaking, their budgets differ quite a bit, especially for identity and access management or for information security in general. Um, first thing I would always want to do because it's free is have good policies <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and, and policies. Uh, that enforce, you know, HIPAA guidelines and kind of need to know. So I'd, I'd want to work within a framework specific to my industry and make sure that my policies align with those industry standards at a minimum, right? And you really, if you're getting pushback at that point, you you need to say timeout. These are things that we are forced to comply with from a regulatory perspective um within that you need to have good controls for you know knowing who has access to what having appropriate levels of assurance on login so that's you know whether that's mfa or password username password whatever it is you need to make sure that you have those highlighted or those accounted for in the policy and then you need to guard the keys to the kingdom so identifying what is privilege access and and uh making sure that you have appropriate controls around that. Now, then the question becomes, if you're on a shoestring budget, how do you get in compliance with those policies or or more directly to your question is if you're having to choose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I think, um, you know, when you're balancing that, that need to secure the data with that tight budget, uh, you need to prioritize. And your question, I think, was, Okay, if your two choices were privileged access management and MFA, I would say it, it, to start off with, you know, I, this, is, I'm, this is a bit of a cop-out answer, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear it coming. You hear it coming, right? Because I gave you the big <laughs> intro. Right. But I think you need to do at least a minimum amount of both. Okay, like, for example, MFA, you need to have MFA for administrative accounts. All right. If people are, are logging into, say, your Office 365 or into your Google apps, whatever you're using, it's on the Internet and you're talking about like your top level administrators. I'm sorry. You need to enable MFA for those folks. OK. OK. On the privilege access management side. I think you also need to have some controls. And, you know, here's the thing with MFA and with Privilege Access Management, what would hold you back from? You know, just going and doing both. If money wasn't a concern, it would be kind of cultural issues. So with MFA, sometimes it's hard to roll out this new service to all of your users. I mean, we don't, we're we're talking abstractly about quote unquote users. You know, do these people understand the technology? Do they have a device that can be used as the second factor or are you going to have to buy Uh, keys for them and things like that Mm -hmm. and on the privileged access side there's users there as well i mean you're talking about you know vaulting passwords um you know vaulting service accounts things like that but i really do think at you know kind of that minimum level for pam you need to be vaulting shared passwords so you know ideally you're doing something where you are um you know nobody knows what the passwords are and <laughs> I, I mean we've we've worked with clients before where they keep the passwords in a spreadsheet and then you know encrypted spreadsheet or password protected spreadsheet but i mean mm-hmm. let's be realistic if if you gave me a copy of a password protected spreadsheet i'm sure i could find some script that would break it in in no time yeah it's pretty trivial it's very trivial. So I think you need to be doing a bare minimum level of each, right? You can go out and find well, even if it's the cheapest solution for that password vault, you know, just don't ignore it. And then you need to do MFA for your administrative accounts. You know, where you get the bang for the buck next, I think is going to be you're going to have to look at both those scenarios and say which of these can I, you know, look, I'm a big I'm a big proponent of um doing your risk and reward analysis Uh, obviously with pam there's a ton of risk in that if somebody fumbles their uh, privileged credentials you could have a major breach of all kinds of data um but a lot of times the investment to actually go ahead and you know properly vault all those passwords all those service accounts which you know you might not even know what they're being used for anymore um monitoring administrative sessions that's a big investment it's a program Mm -hmm. um on the mfa side i kind of went over some of the objections that you're run into there so where's your risk and reward i think if you are an organization that has a lot of your services in the cloud um you're using you know salesforce and you're using workday i think you get more bang for your buck by doing mfa if you're an organization that still has most of your assets Kind of behind the firewall, I think you probably get more bang for your buck by doing um, privilege access management and making sure that the guys and gals who have keys of the kingdom, you know, don't really, you know, that you you're temporarily issuing access and that you're automatically logging them in. In other words, people don't know the passwords. Um, that's where I think you would get the the best value. I think that's a
0: very logical well thought out plan of attack. And I think, yeah, you cheated a little bit on the answer, but I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> judges judges are giving me a thumbs up. I like the idea of splitting it because you, you can spend a little bit here and a little bit there and see a, a major improvement from a maturity standpoint, doing a little bit of both versus trying to focus on just one, which might take you longer. So you know, I like, you know, definitely admins, you know, people who, who need the MFA in place and should have it because of the privileges they have. But then also, you know, vaulting those shared accounts, um, services, you know, those sorts of things is, makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I totally agree with, you know, what you just laid out. Thank so you. we're going to, we're going to award you a point. <laughs>
1: I'll take it. I'll take <laughs> it. Um, you know, I was going to point out one thing, which is something I brought up in that whole answer, which was, you know, you might get objections from people who don't want to use their smartphone for corporate business because they're paying for their phone. They don't want to get, they don't want to install the Microsoft Authenticator app or, or whatever. And right. how about you? There's people out there shaking their head like, "Come on, that doesn't happen." It happens. I, I swear <laughs> it happens. We run into it, right? Yeah. And there's like this expectation, right? That
0: well, if the company is putting, making me put this on my phone, then they have to pay for it, right? I, I just, I don't, you know, there's a lot of different schools of thought of it, obviously, but I don't subscribe to that. I think that if you're being asked to, you know, if you're being given access to something that you have it within your rights to try and make sure that you're following, you know, proper security guidelines or, whatever, or just don't access it on that device. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the whole putting things on phones, that always has kind of bugged me, but certainly happens quite a bit, you know, in all the conversations we have. But then you start to look at other things too, like you you can always do things like UV keys or you know other types of you know physical tokens you can hand out.
1: But yeah, the physical tokens only becomes a real concern when you get into we need to buy a lot of them, and then we need to have lifecycle management for them. Yep. And you know if it's we're only going to reserve them for when someone's being a butthead and doesn't want to <laughs> use their phone, okay. And maybe you're buying a hundred of them, and it's not that big of a deal, but um, yeah, if you have to buy thousands of them and then manage the life cycle, because people are going to lose them, I mean, that's human nature, um, then it can be, uh, you know, less attractive of a solution. But I, I you know, where I've really found um, the objections is when you start talking about uh, workers who are, you know, maybe in like, uh, not, not information workers, not people who Mm -hmm. sitting in an office all day they're either people who are in a factory maybe union maybe not or people who are um in really privacy driven countries like uh in the european union things like that that's where i see that objection come up the most what about you yeah
0: that's the same thing it's 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 those 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 regions and those types of workers that typically have the have those um Types of issues with it. I think you know most of the IT people that are out there kind of understand that the that some sort of virtual token or soft token is going to be part of their life. Um, it's been around, I think, long enough where people kind of understand it. So I, you know, I, I we certainly see less of that. I think on the IT side, but yeah, once you get outside the IT world, it's um, I, yeah, I think there are certainly openings for that. Um, but it's that behavior change, right? It's the, it's the culture. Um, I can certainly, you know, see companies that have been kind of born in the cloud and have always had, you know, some little security fit that it just becomes second nature. And yeah, this is just what we do, right? We have this token and this is how we, we manage it and how we log in. Uh, one of my former roles was responsible for managing RSA tokens. And, you know, we would order hundreds of these at a time for a large organization and, you know, just the logistics involved of getting them, you know, making sure we had the right ones, making sure we had the CD file. This is how, how far back this goes, right? The CD with the uh, the seed file that you put on the RSA server, yeah. and then getting them shipped out to the right areas and to the right persons, and then them getting it activated. It's just, there's so much work that used to go into, you know, managing a, a hard token. It's become quite a bit easier, I think, with, you know, some of the more self-service options that are available, but um, yeah, I don't I don't um, miss
1: that part of that role <laughs> in, in one bit. One well, you know, I mean, and I think a lot of the app-based, like authenticator apps, it really just shifts the complexity. It, it's easier, mm-hmm. but it shifts the complexity to the user. So a lot of times you have to download the app, log in with it, and then go and scan a QR code. Right. And I just try to picture my dad going through that. like he could never do that he would just he would unless he absolutely had to do it to get like his his money or something like that i think he would just throw in the towel um so yeah that's so it comes a fallback is like the sms text (laughs) which is better than nothing but certainly not the most secure method to deliver you know a token correct um, you know, the last thing I was just gonna bring up on the privilege access side is, um, you know, some of the objections that you can get there. Usually it's a smaller population of users, but they're, you know, they're very technically savvy, so they can come up with a lot of reasons why your quote unquote won't work. Um, sometimes you'll be outsourcing a lot of your either network management or server management to a third party, maybe a, a big outsourcing company. Um, and they may have contractual objectives, uh, objections. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so again, I'd say start small vault passwords um, that, you know, the best would be check in, check out or automatically log in. But even if you could just implement it and focus on some high-risk servers and then expand, you know, kind of land and expand, if you will, you spread your, your breath over time, you get those contractual objections. Eventually, the contract is going to have to be renewed. Make sure to get those requirements put into the next contract. Um, Things do change and attitudes do change, especially when you get something up and it's successful and you have internal stakeholders who are saying, this is actually good. It's great. I don't need to worry about remembering my password anymore. Because I think a lot of the objections to PAM start out they're, they're given as logical objections. Well, what if, you know, it's two in the morning and somebody calls me and I don't have access? You know, what am I supposed to do? Call and wake somebody up and it's like, oh, okay. But behind the scenes, I look, I was a system administrator, so I know it's kind of like you like having that level of access that nobody can look over your shoulder or, you know, stop you from doing anything. Um, I used to be in that role, so I kind of get that, feeling of power that you want to maintain. And when that gets taken away from you, you lose that power and it's not a great feeling. Um, so that might be a little bit behind it, but I feel like, you know, all you can do is, is win them over by doing a good job. If you don't have the kind of the ability to just drive down, this is what we're going to do, whether you like it or not. And so I'd say get something small started, especially if it's budget driven and then, expand the service over time. As you get more budget, you can add more licenses, add more endpoints, and eventually you have a good privilege access program going.
0: Yeah, I think once you get it started, right, it becomes easier to show the value of it, being able to demonstrate with numbers, right? Here's here's what we're protecting from now, here's what's not being protected, and being able to justify additional spend by, um, by using metrics, you know, is, is another good way to to get things going yeah all right well I, I i think we've we should probably leave it there for now um so i think that the summary is let's start with mfa on the admins let's get you know a little bit of a vault set up start with some some core systems and then like you said land and expand and move from there generate if you can some metrics to drive awareness around the effectiveness of, of what you're doing and try to get more budget that way yeah all right. Well, I think we'll, we'll call it for today and uh, thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks all.